brother. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Good to be back with you. I think it's been, it was about a year and a half ago we were here and uh, just had a wonderful time. And uh, I too, my wife and I both just want to say to you as Jubilee how much we appreciate your friendship and uh, the friendship of your eldership team. Uh, it's just been tremendous to us uh, uh, and personally uh, impact our lives in ways that are incredible. Uh, your eldership team cared for us all the way across the pond when our grandson died. Uh, you know, about uh, 14 months ago or so, and uh, Raj was on the phone and, uh, and ministering to my son-in-law and my daughter and uh, just in contact with us all the time. And I had preacher friends down the road who didn't even reach out. And uh, for your church to reach out to us during that time was incredible. Your eldership team even extended and said, hey, just come to England for a week and, and uh, you know, or so and just rest and, and those type of things. And so we, we just really appreciate all your love and your support. And the fact that you embrace us even as crazy Americans as we are when we come over, amen? And it's so good. Hello, somebody, right? Yeah? So uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be. We've been talking about passion, and we've been talking about what that means and uh, how that plays out in our life and how that plays out in our walk with Jesus, how that plays out with us corporately as a church and how our churches can, can have a passionate walk with Jesus Christ, how our, our passion plays out from our faith into uh, this community that we worship and serve. And I find that an incredible topic to talk about. I really find that an incredible topic to talk about because I tend to be a passionate guy. I, I, I like, people make fun of me sometimes because of it. Um, but I, I've, I've learned to live life that way. Uh, I, I just can't be bored. Right? I mean, like, th I, things go terribly wrong when Don is bored. <laughs> Growing up in the South, when Don got bored, something usually blew up or, you know, it was one of those things. Just growing up wild in the, in the southern part of the United States uh, where, uh, you, know, uh, you know, parents just turned you loose and it was like, we'll call you when we want you to come back. And sometimes you didn't get called all day long. And uh, it was just one of those things uh, growing up that way. And I developed a passion and I loved the adrenaline push that I learned to live with. And growing up and, and coming to faith and learning about Jesus and becoming a Christian, uh, I thought, okay, all of that stuff has got to be put to the side. Because now I'm a Christian and I've got to be a good boy. No more blowing stuff up. None of that kind of stuff. No more catching alligators or hunting, hunting wild hogs and all that stuff. But what I discovered shortly after becoming a Christian when I thought that I was going to have to now behave myself. I'm not talking about righteousness. Hello, somebody. Is that God spoke to my heart through a series of events and, and began to speak to me very incredibly to say, you just thought you were living life before. Now, I'm going to turn your passion into something that's much deeper and much more fulfilling than the way you lived before. I'm going to turn that into not only a love for me, and a love for those around you, but a love for my kingdom and a love for my church. And I make no apologies for loving the church. I'll say it every time I get to speak. I love the church. 
You know why I love the church? Because I love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you should love the things he loves. And there will be no questions in this room this morning whether Jesus loves the church. There will be no questions in this room this morning whether Jesus was passionate about the church. We'll, we'll, never, we'll never say, you know, I think there were days when Jesus was probably bored with the kingdom of God. You didn't read your Bible. Jesus usually got up every day and went and looked for ways to establish the kingdom of God and pick on the devil. He did. He got up every day. Jesus never lived a bored life. The kingdom of God should never do that. His passion proved out inside of all of that. So this morning I want you to turn me in your Bibles to Joshua. Chapter 18. You look at this general. This guy who was a passionate man. And my question to us this morning, since we've been talking about passion this whole weekend, my question to us this morning, even if you didn't get to come to the meetings this weekend, you'll still get, you'll still get a sense of what God is speaking to us. But if, just, just by, do you want your church to be effective in this community? Okay, it's all right. I'm an audience participation preacher. It's great. It's fine. You're not going to scare me. You can answer. I showed a picture yesterday of, of uh, when we were in Brazil. The, the Brazilians call me, you know, pa- the, the, the Brazilian word for crazy and passion are about the same thing. And uh, we were out alligator hunting one night and the Brazilians were trying to impress the Americans. There's a lot of alligators and they were trying to, to spear an alligator. I knew that wasn't going to work. And they failed and failed and failed for a few hours and then Eventually, I asked the translator, just tell them when they want me to get an alligator for them. Eventually, they just said, okay. And so I hopped out of the boat, went over and grabbed an alligator and started bringing it back to the boat. And they called me passionate. You're passionate. Get away from us. I said, here, hold this for me. I showed a picture yesterday of me holding this live alligator coming right up to the Brazilians and, and Those are the type of things that God wants to birth inside of us for His kingdom. So you're not going to scare me this morning. Because I might get out of the boat and grab a hold of you. You might say, here Raj, hold this one for me. I got another one to go get. Watch what Joshua says here. It's an incredible question. He says to them, what are you waiting for? The whole congregation of the children of Israel. The whole con- Not a soul left out. Everybody's involved. Somebody say everybody. everybody. Everybody's involved. The assembly together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the meeting there. And the land was subdued before them. Now, interesting. The land's already subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not received their inheritance. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, Where's your passion? That's PD translation. Pastor Don. That's PD. Nobody calls me Pastor Don at home. Everybody just calls me PD. That's PD translation. Watch what he says. Where's your passion? How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord, your, uh, your God, gave your fathers? 
How long? He says, where's your passion? It's already subdued. There's no work to it. Pick out from among you three men, eat for each tribe, and I'll send them. They shall rise up. Everybody say, rise up. And go through the land and survey it according to the inheritance and come back to me. They shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in the territory of the south. The house of Joseph shall remain in the territory of the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts. Bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you for the priesthood of the Lord is their, is their inheritance. Gad, Reuben, half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east which Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. Then the men rose up. Everybody say rose up. Rose up. Hello somebody. To go away and Joshua charged those who went and surveyed the land saying walk through the land survey it and come back to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went passed through the land. They wrote the survey in the book in seven parts of the cities and they came to Joshua at the camp of Shiloh and Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord and there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their division. So Father, would you bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. God, I pray that my thoughts would be your thoughts and my words would be your words in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Now the children of Israel finally begin, they finally begin to take possession of their inheritance. It's one thing to have an inheritance, it's another thing to take possession of it. And when they begin to do that, we find that there are seven tribes that for some reason, some odd reason, we, we can't, the Bible doesn't tell us, but for some odd reason they failed to receive their inheritance. It doesn't make sense. It's there. It's already subdued. It's just, it's there. Why haven't they done it? And see, I believe that the same problem exists in the hearts of church today, in the hearts of men and women today. I believe that the same problem exists because many of us today living in a substandard lives because we haven't taken hold of the promise of God. And I travel the world and I preach to churches and I, and I see congregations all from all over, from England to Canada to Nicaragua and Guatemala to the Dominican Republic, right, to Brazil, all those countries. And, and we see that the church is going through a similar thing globally. There's this idea of, of just settling in and a willingness to accept this substandard life of, because we haven't taken hold of the promise of God. And sometimes there's this idea that we really, we re, can we really make a difference? Or, and, and, you know, is it worth even the effort? Can't we just be satisfied with having our meetings? Don't get too excited. When the Bible says that they hadn't received their inheritance, what it's really telling us is that they'd failed to drive out the enemy. It's true that their land, though promised by God, was inhabited by a people who opposed their right to it. And to possess their inheritance meant that they had to go dis 
dispossess the enemy. The land belonged to the children of Israel by the right of inheritance, by promise, but it was occupied by a dominating enemy. Let me ask you something this morning, Jubilee, since we're talking about passion. Do you realize, do you understand that there are enemies who oppose the purpose of this church? There, there are enemies who oppose the inheritance of God to you, which is the city, the lost. In our church, one of our prayers, our often prayers is, God, give us for our inheritance the lost. That's the riches of the kingdom of glory. People. Give us for our inheritance the lost. Give us the lost. But there are enemy. There's an enemy that opposes the purpose of the church taking territory for God. There's an enemy who opposes you reaching out to your neighbor and sharing your faith. There's an enemy who opposes you as a church reaching out to the community and sharing your faith. Yes, we try it. Yes, we're here. Yes, we open the door. But the church can no longer be satisfied with opening the doors on Sunday morning and hoping that the community comes. That was never what God intended for the church to be. But most of modern day church has settled in a subdued lifestyle and just said, hey, let's open the doors, let's have a service and maybe they will come. But Jesus told us to go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come. Now that word compel, right, it's it's a physical word. It, It can be translated real loosely into handcuff yourself to them and drag them in. You coming with me. What, what do you call the police officers here in England? Cops? You call them cops? They're not like bobbies or whatever. What do they call them? The police. All right, there's a great American word. Anybody ever had a police officer put a handcuff on you and go, you coming with me? Right? He didn't really give you an option. It wasn't a debate. And if you try to take a different option or debate him, it usually winds up painful. And you still wind up where he wants you to go. You see, when we look at the passion we have for Jesus Christ, but then we don't have the same passion when we see our neighbors, our families, or our friends when it comes to the kingdom of God, we really never think about, wow, I should work, I should compel them to come with me. Come and let's see the kingdom of God. There's an enemy there that says, it's okay, just, live the, just open the doors, maybe one day they'll come. Maybe one day the community will come. Maybe one day church will be full of people. Maybe one day the lost will see Jesus for who He really is. See, it was with this understanding that Joshua stood in front of these people with a question. And and, and this question is really a rebuke if you look at it. He says, you're not moving in faith concerning your inheritance. What are you waiting for? Where's your passion? How long will you neglect to go to possess the land which the Lord your fa- had have given your fathers. The point is, number one, the land has been given to them by God. Somebody say amen. It's theirs. 
It's not an option. I mean, it's already done. God has given it to them. But see, here's where we struggle, point number two. Because, we, because we're, we're a little laid back, we're used to living life in the way we live it and to begin to develop passion a little bit, point number two brings us to the part we don't like it because it requires responsibility. Amen or oh me. It was their responsibility to do whatever they had to do in order to possess it. See, that's the ugly word, responsibility. That's the dirty word in church. We often think that dirty words are four-letter words, but this is a bunch of letters. Don't like that word, responsibility. Joshua was asking him, how long are you going to be lazy? Hello, somebody. Y'all not helping me. This preacher will go a whole lot faster if you help me. If I got to amen myself, it's just going to take a while. Joshua says, how long are you going to be self-preserving? How long are you going to be fearful? How long are you going to be unwilling to engage the enemy to take what was yours? Basically, he was asking them, where is your passion for who you are and what is yours? They had the title deed in their hand to the promise, the, the land. They had it there. It was theirs. It was theirs. Listen, I, I have the title to my truck at home, the truck that I drive. It, that, that title proves that I own the truck. It's paid for. It's mine. That's my proof of ownership. If someone pulls up in my driveway and says, I'm taking that truck, the first thing I'm going to do is go, no, you're not. I own it. This is my proof. If they persist, the second thing that's going to happen is passion. It's mine. I have the proof of ownership. It's mine. I don't care who thinks that I don't own it. I have the proof of ownership. Their proof of ownership was God Almighty had given it to them. And there are many similarities in the Old Testament and the New Testament experience. See, by inheriting the land belonging to them, they were Abraham's seed, according to the promise. They've got to forcibly take possession of what is legally theirs. But they were slack to do it. And we find this scenario in the hearts of church today. If I were to say to you that the Word of God is rich with promises toward us, would you say amen? That's so good. That's so, ah, oh, the promise of God is yes and amen. Is that what the Scripture says? I don't have a trick Bible. That's what the Scripture says. I don't, I don't have a trick Bible. The promises of God are what? Not maybe. Not I'll think about it. Not if you're good enough. Not if you earn it. The promises of God are yes and amen. Jubilee with passion has to say, yes, the city is ours. The lost is ours. Our families are ours. Our children are ours. Come on, church. 
They're ours. They belong to us. God has promised it. It says yes and amen. Not maybe. The Word of God is rich and promises towards us. We also are the seed, or, or, by faith, of the seed of Abraham. And then if so, then we're heirs to the blessing of Abraham. Somebody say amen. Uh, Galatians 3, uh, verse 13 through 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Galatians 3, 29. It says, And if, if you be in Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. That's the Scripture to us. That's the Scripture to us. And there are enemies to us, to possessing our inheritance, and we must be willing to fight for what is legally ours. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, for the days of John the Baptist, for until, since the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of God suffereth violence. But the violent take it by force. A good translation is, but the passionate. Come on. The passionate. Take it by force. Remember some of the guys in our church, right? A few of the guys were just, we were just, you know, being under attack by the enemy and some guys were just, you know, trying to wrestle out some things and, and, and we, we had an elders meeting one night and we had a long agenda and we just began to pray and uh, we began to pray over each other and, and the enemy was working on us and I just remember, I just remember looking at one of our elders and going, you're a man of God. And he stood there and I was like, no, you're a man of God. You're a man of God. He's like, I'm a man of God. Like, you're a man of God. I'm a man of God. You're a man of God. I'm a man of God. We're all men of God. And in the room for about an hour, we stood there and we were like, we are men of God. Passion rising up inside of us to say this belongs to us. This is our inheritance. This is what God has given us. This is our church. This is what God has, has called us to do in the kingdom, to release our passion for Him and to be who we are. And the devil has come against us with a violent force, but I'm more passionate than him because greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world. I am more passionate for the kingdom of God. One of the reasons many churches are cheated out of their inheritance is because, is because they don't know what belongs to them. Do you know the city belongs to you? They're unfamiliar with the will of God. That's why Hosea says, by the Spirit of God, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know. Another reason is just plain slack, slothful, lazy. They're unwilling to fight for it. Let me tell you something. Anything God wants to bless you with, you better believe the enemy wants to take away from you. If you're a married person, you better believe the enemy wants to rob you of the joy of being married. If you've got children, you better believe the enemy wants to rob you of the great blessing of being a parent. If you've got a career, if you've got a job, you better believe the enemy wants to make it the worst thing in your life. 
everybody's going to wake up tomorrow and go, man, I'm excited. I got a job. I'm going to work. No, most people go, oh, Lord, it's Monday. Here we go. You get to work, and you know, everybody's got that one person that's got a sign on their head that says, I'm your test. I'm your test. Maybe it's your boss man. Maybe it's a co-worker, right? They walk in the room. I'm your test. I hate this job. I hate it. I hate this place. I hate it. I hate everything about it. Anything God is blessing you with, the devil wants it. Listen to me, Jubilee Church. Any, this sin God is blessing you with, anything God is blessing you, you better believe the enemy has come to take it from his church. And if you are not more passionate about what God has given you than he is about taking it away from you. There you go. Joshua's like, what's the matter with you people? What are you, what are you waiting for? I love Joshua, right? This guy, man, he's like, there's a mountain there, and I'm going to climb it. And everybody's like, why are you going to climb it? Because it's there. I'm going to do it. It's my mountain. God gave it to me. I want to see what's on top of it. We're in Mexico, and, uh, you know, I'm from, I'm, I'm from Florida, and I grew up in the woods and all this good stuff, and we were down in Mexico doing it, and we had an afternoon free, and there was, there was a mountain behind us, and I kept saying, to one of the guys, I was like, man, I'd love to climb that mountain. That looks great. I, I would love to be on top of that thing. And a couple of the other guys were just like, you can't climb that mountain, man. It's too, it's too big. And, you know, this guy was some, you know, corn farmer from Indiana. And he just kept saying, you can't climb that mountain. Can't climb that mountain. I kept looking at his, I was like, I am not going to let some Indiana corn farmer tell me I can't do something. Get out of my way. We started the trek up that mountain, man, and I'm not lying. You get to the top of that thing, and it was steep, and you're hanging on. And we crest over to the most beautiful plateau on the top of that mountain you'd ever seen. And the mountain goats that were on top of it looked at us like, how did you get up here? And I have some pictures from that place up top. There's two of us guys who made it to the top. We stood up there, and we prayed for a little while, and we just watched. We looked over what we could see. I mean, I bet you could see a hundred miles around. It was incredible. And the mountain goats just stood and looked at us like, we've never seen people up here before. I love Joshua because he's like, it's mine. He's a passionate man. He stands in front of God's people and he says, this belongs to us. What are we waiting for? Many churches would rather live in a low-level, mediocre, self-preserving life and do without their rights and privileges as sons and daughters of the living God than to have to engage the enemy in spiritual warfare. But here's my blessing to you this morning. Buckle your seatbelt. Hold on. Grab your neighbor. You were born into a war, whether you like it or not. The war between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. But here's the deal. The land is already subdued. You don't fight for victory anymore. 
you fight from victory. That means we fight totally different. I'm already victorious in Christ. I'm already the winner. Sorry about your luck, but I'm the winner. Joshua says we're victorious already. The land is subdued. Yeah, there's some ugly enemies out there. They might be pretty tall. Sorry about their luck. Let them take it up with God as they move out. Yeah, there's some enemies who oppose this church. There's some enemies in the heavenlies, in the spiritual realms that don't want to see you win the loss, that don't want to see your, your programs reach out to touch people, that don't want to see you disciple and raise up leaders and raise out churches and, and affect the kingdom. There's enemies who oppose that at every turn. Listen, you're already victorious, Jubilee. You're already a winner, Jubilee. I'm sorry about the look of the enemy, but I'm glad I'm on the winning side and I prefer to stay there. I'm a winner now. Not a loser. I am going to let my passion flow out that way. People ask me all the time, why are you so passionate? Because I'm the winner. We play softball, right? Church league softball. We've got three teams in the church, two men's teams and one co-ed team. And, and uh, you know what? Here, here's the deal. I, I want to win. You ever play a game and start keeping score? Right? Let me help you out. If you play a game and you start keeping score, you intend for the other person to lose, don't you? If you didn't, you wouldn't keep score. Right? So, it's church league softball. And there's a scoreboard out there. I want to win. We're clobbering a team one day. I mean, we just clobber them. It's like 25 to, to 2 or something. Guys are coming around third base, and, and I'm sending them home. I'm sending them home. I'm coaching third, and I'm sending them home. We're running up the score, and I'm excited because I want to win. One of the guys came out of the dugout, and he said, Hey, PD, you should probably hold him up at third from here on out. I looked at him, and I was like, No. Grace is for God on Sunday mornings, not for the softball field. I want to win. Sorry about their look. Somebody said, who are we playing next week? The loser. <laughs> I want to win. I had a young man in my church, one of our great disciples, a young man. He's been to England over here, and, and he shared, and, and he's been with us for a long time, and I'll never forget, I'll never forget the first night I met him, softball field. His, I played softball with his sister's husband and his sister's husband on the team. And, and so he came to watch his brother-in-law play softball that night. And, and we're all uniformed up and we're out there playing. And, and uh, it was a tight game. And a and, uh, guy hits a field to right field. And I'm on second base and I'm thinking, I can make it home, man. I'm going to pour it on. And I take off and I around third base, kind of slide into home right as the ball got there. And we scored and we go up. And I'm just jacked up, man. And I just run over to the dugout and I jump on the fence, cleats in the wire. And I'm shaking the fence and I'm screaming at our guys, Yeah! So this guy looks at his sister and goes, Who is that guy? And she goes, Yeah, that's our pastor. You know what he said to her? I'll be there Sunday morning because I want to win. It's not personal. I want to win. I want the church to win. How about this? The church has already won. So what are we waiting for? 
So instead of admitting that we don't have it because we're not willing to fight for it, what we do is we do things to make us feel better about ourselves. In other words, we say things like uh, that make it sound like it's not for us anyhow. We need to just wait till we get to heaven. Our possessions are not over in heaven waiting for us. Our possessions are in Christ, waiting for us to rise up in faith and drive out every enemy of our promise and take possession of what belongs to us through the redemptive work of God that He did through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where our possessions are. I don't have to wait to heaven to be a winner. I don't have to wait to heaven to make an impact. Right now, right here is where I should be making an impact. Right here, I don't have to wait to heaven to take the city. I should be taking the city right now. The possessions of God are for now. You sang a song earlier that said, God... Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. That is a right now prayer. That's not a, I'll wait till I get to heaven. We want it right now. And Jesus taught us to pray right now. He didn't die just so you could go to heaven. Newsflash. <gasps> What'd you say? What'd he say? He said he didn't die just so we could go to heaven. You mean Jesus died for something more? Yes. Uh, let me bless you. Why? The promised land? It's not a type of heaven. Please don't do that. Please do not care, compare the promised land to heaven. Let me tell you why. There are no giants in heaven. The promised land is a representation of our inheritance right now. There are no enemies in heaven. No, sir, the, pro the promised land of the Old Testament was a type of the inheritance in Jesus Christ that must be possessed through an aggressive passion faith. Yes, 2 Corinthians says, For all the promises of God in Him are yea and amen unto the glory of God by us. We need a clear vision of that which is ours in Christ, our inheritance, our right, our privilege, our, uh, the church. The devil oppresses us and keeps us in bondage. Yes, he does. Because he doesn't want you to know who you are. He doesn't want you to know what you own. His greatest fear is that you'll discover what belongs to you and that you'll start to take possession of it. He's terrified of that. One day they're going to wake up and realize the land's already subdued. Don't tell them. Let's make them believe they're losers. knows that if we, if we ever find out who we are and we start to fight we'll win because he knows he's already defeated because we don't fight for victory we fight from victory changes the way I fight the battle changes the way I fight the battle so he's trying to convince us that there's nothing here worth fighting for he tries to convince us that it's all like a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and we'll get it when we die Judges 6, verse 13, Gideon said to him, or, or said unto him, O oh my Lord, if Jehovah is with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where are all the wondrous works which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not Jehovah bring us up out of Egypt? But now Jehovah hath cast off and delivered us into the hand of the Midian? You see, the truth is this. We stand around and go, What happened? Why don't people love Jesus? 
I love Jesus. Jesus is good to me. I mean, you know, it's all right. It's just okay. Maybe, maybe Jesus loves me. I don't know. Shush, don't you want to be just like me? No, grab the fence. Jump on the fence, church. Shake the fence. Rattle each other to war. Come on, rise up. Let's do it. Let's go after the city. Let's have passion together. I want to win. You want to win. And we want to win the lost. Let's shake the fence. You can imagine this scene. In a ball tournament where we're the only non-Amish team. Raj picks something. He says, you know, British people are a little laid back. Just, you know, it'd be okay. Go after them, but they're a little laid back. Yeah, no, you should see some Amish folk. You people are a riot. I'm shaking the fence and I'm screaming at our guys and I'm, I'm in their face. Let's go. I told one guy, he said, we got to have a home run to win. This is, last, this is it. We're on our last out. If you don't hit it over the fence, we lose. I walked up to him and I, and I just said, look, man, you don't have a hair on your chest if you can't hit it over the fence. <laughs> He's gripping that bat. Then I went over to his wife and I said, hey, can you go? Can you give him encouragement? We've got to have this. So she walks over behind home plate, behind the fence, and, and she looks at him and she says, this is what she said to him, you ready? She said, hey, chief, what a hottie. <laughs> You'll get that later when you play it out. Can you hit a home run for me? Man, he was always like, oh! You know, he stepped up there and the pitch came and he crushed that thing. He stood there and watched it go over the fence and he walked right back to the dugout. He never walked the field. I was like, yeah! I want to win! Whatever it takes, you got to have it. This is what we should be doing to each other. Sarush, you'll have a hair on your chest if you don't bring a lost person next week. <laughs> Doesn't have any anyways. <laughs> Right, come on. This is, a, you know, I know this is very like, okay, that's over the top American thing. But what I'm saying is, it's not about that. It's about the church, the people of God loving God in such a way that says, I'm ready. I'm excited about Jesus. I don't care who knows it. I love the Lord. I love the church. I don't love what God is doing. Come and be with us. It's our inheritance through Jesus and His death. And, and He willed it to us, church. I just need you to understand, I don't need deliverance when I get to heaven. I need it now. I don't need peace in my marriage when I get to heaven. I need it now. I don't need to lead my family when I get to heaven. Y'all not helping me. I need it now. I don't, I don't need to lead my kids and to keep them safe when I get to heaven. I need to do that now. I don't need healing when I get to heaven. I need it now. Y'all not helping me, church. I need somebody here hello somebody I don't need the power over the devil when I get to heaven I need it now I don't need the kingdom of God when I get to heaven I need it now 
Jubilee needs it now. Jubilee needs passionate people in the pews who love Jesus and doesn't care who, who likes it or not. I want to win. Got to have a home run. Bring it. Bring it. Be the hero. That's what I was telling Tim that night. I said, go be the hero, man. I believe in you. Go be the hero. You're the man. That's what I was telling my elders in that room that night. You're a man of God. You're a man of God. Step up. If God be for you, who or what? I just believe God's for Jubilee. I don't think I'm the only one in the room that believes that. I don't. I really don't. You see, Joshua realized that to get them motivated, they needed to see something. Ephesians chapter 1, it's in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. He sent them to survey the land. Go look at it. Go look at it. My wife, will, my wife will say, hey, you know, let's go window shopping. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not going window shopping. Why? Because I I, if I look at it, I'm going to want to buy it. Get to go to London tomorrow. First time I've ever been to London. I don't know who, who to be more afraid for, London or me. <laughs> Just for a little bit. And Raj says, we're going to let Lisa go to Herod's, but we're not letting her take the credit card. <laughs> go look at it. Trust me, you'll like it. Take an inventory. Trust me, you'll see some of y'all need to take an inventory. Y'all. Some of y- I didn't misspell it. Jubilee needs to take an inventory. Come on. You've been whining about what you don't have. You need to take a good look at what has been given to you and you start fighting for it. This is what we must do. We must get in the Word. We must search out our inheritance. Get a revelation of what belongs to us. Begin to see ourselves living in the fullness of the life of Jesus Christ. It is time to stake your claim. And if you don't stake it, don't you dare blame God. Don't blame God, church. You can say, I believe the Bible all day. But if you don't stake your claim on it, you'll never experience it. Many churches miss out on their inheritance because they're waiting for God to give them something He's already given them. Why are we praying about things that are already ours? What we need to do is what Jesus said, pray for laborers. He didn't say pray for a harvest field. He said the field's already white. You, we need some passionate people to get to work. It's true in our case. 
Ephesians 1.3, He hath blessed us in all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1.3, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things to pertain to life and godliness. 1 Corinthians 3.21, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whatever Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word of life or, or death, these things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. I'm just reading the Bible to you. I don't got a trick Bible. Colossians 1.27, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of His mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God has banked everything on me and you. You and I, the church, God has put the hope of glory to God has banked everything on Jubilee winning the city. That's God's hope. Did you just read your Bible? That's the hope of glory. God's banked everything on Firm Foundation Ministries winning Centerville. That's the hope of glory. God's banked everything on Firm Foundation Ministries winning Kalamazoo. That's the hope of glory. One of the young guys that's leading Kalamazoo, you know, he came to us at an elders meeting. Listen, Centerville, where the home church is, has 1,400 people in the town. 1,400 people in the town. Kalamazoo has 250,000 people in the town. He came to us as elders and he said, Hey, what do you think about asking some, people, some more people from the home church to come to Kalamazoo? I said, No. You got 250,000. We got 1,400. The woods is full of them. Go get you some. Go get you some. And he was like, that makes sense. I know, because I said it. (laughs) I thought of that all by myself. And he was like, yes, we've got to go get some people. That's the point. You're getting it. The question is not whether it belongs to your church. No, the question is the same that was asked by Joshua. How long will you be slack? Mm. You see, that's amen or oh me. And you didn't say either one of them. How long are you going to let the devil cheat this church out of what belongs to it? You see, I can't preach to the people outside of this church about Jubilee. Because Jubilee belongs to you. I can't ask them to have passion about Jubilee because Jesus, or Jubilee belongs to you. I've got to ask you to have passion for Jubilee. Jesus paid for Jubilee with his blood and it belongs to you and you've got to fight for it. I didn't say you need to fight each other. Stop it. I didn't say you had permission to fight your eldership team. Knock it off. If you want to fight, there's a whole bunch of devils out there. Go growl at one of them. Dare you. (laughs) The world has a saying. There's a lot of truth in it. Anything worth having is worth fighting for. God didn't call me to be a pacifist. God called me to be a Joshua. 
I like Joshua. Because he gets to call people to passion. Come on. Let's go get what's ours. Whatever, stand, stand with me in this place. Will you stand with me? One last one here, brother. Throw them up there. Just run them right through it. Whatever God has promised you as a church is legally yours. Do you believe it? Whatever God has promised you as a church is legally yours. Every dream. Have you dreamed Jubilee? I'm asking you a question. Come on, you're not going to scare me. Have you dreamed Jubilee? Come on. Every prophetic utterance. Is there any prophetic words around here? Has God ever spoken? Come on. I got a feeling He does. He likes to do that. Now it's up to you to stand up in faith. I got you. See, I just trapped you. In the power of the Holy Spirit and say, It's mine. Come on. It's mine. You want to be infectious? You got to be passionate. Yeah, 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 come on. I just stand before the Lord all the time and I just say, give me my mountain. Before I pray for you, I want to close with this thought and I shared it a little bit yesterday. I didn't have any pictures today to show you. But in October of last year, I went on a nine-day elk hunt. I went to climb a 12,000-foot mountain with 60 pounds on our back. That's all we had to live on for nine days. It's the hardest thing I've ever done physically in my life, and I literally wanted to quit. And the guy who was with me he kept looking at me and said, Come on, PD, take 20 more steps. He's like the Holy Spirit in my life. Take 20 more steps. That last hour, he said that to me probably a thousand times. Come on, take 20 more steps. 12,000 feet, you can't breathe, there's no air up there. But we've got to get up above 12,000 feet because the bears are at 10,000 feet. You've got to get higher than the bears. You don't want to sleep with the bears. Somebody say amen. amen. Can't sleep here, Pastor Don. Come on, you've got to take 20 more. I'd take 20 more steps. You know what I discovered about that trip? Raise your hand if you want to be on top of the mountain. Come on. Yes. Nobody gets to the top of the mountain by accident. You know how you get to the top of the mountain? One step at a time. I sat on top of that mountain for nine days. Most glorious thing I've ever done, chasing a majestic animal, incredible, beautiful creature. Thanking God to give us meat. And I remember sitting there thanking God. All my life I wanted to be on the mountain. But I've never wanted to pay the price to be here. My body ached. I hurt so bad the next day I could hardly walk. And I said, now I realize, Lord Jesus, no one gets to the top of the mountain by accident. But everybody wants to be there. Jubilee, you will not get to the top of the mountain by accident. But you will get there one step at a time. But if you don't have enough passion, you will quit. You will quit. And that's not the calling of God in our life.
this church has no excuse not to be the most passionate church in Middlesbrough. You've got a great gift. His name is Jesus. Come on. And he's given you for an inheritance the city, the lost. That's who we are, man. But we ain't going to win them if we're satisfied with sitting in the valley. Can I pray for you as a church? Can you just take the hand of the person next to you? Is this all right? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, I just want to take a moment. We could lay our hands on each and every individual here today. More importantly, God, I'm asking you to lay your hand on this church right now. As we hold one another hand in hand, lay your hand on this church. And God, I pray that you fill this church with your presence. Because in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Passion flows in your presence, Jesus. And we want to be a church, God, that is so alive, that is so passionate for you, Lord. That God, the talk of the town is that place, Jubilee, is actually a place that celebrates the presence of God. They're infectious in their praise. They're infection in their passion and their discipleship. People who go there, their lives get changed. Father, let that be our testimony that because of our passion, we spur one another on to win. We spur one another on to the top of the mountain by saying, come on, take 20 more steps. You can do it. You can walk this thing out. You can walk deliverance out. Just take 20 more steps. You can walk healing out in your marriage. Take 20 more steps. You can walk healing out in your physical body. Come on, believe Jesus and take 20 more steps. Don't quit on it, God. Let us not be a church of slackers, God, but let us be a church on fire for You. Lord, burning bright for You, Jesus. Alive for who You are. Full of the passion of Jesus Christ. Fill us, God, with You. Fill us, God, with You, Jesus. Pour Yourself out into us, God. We're not asking for religious hype. We're not asking for charismatic, uh, spontaneous whatever. We're asking for You to pour Yourself out into this church, God. Make us alive in You, God. And those, God, who have been hiding in the shadows, Lord, we call them out right now in Jesus' name. Your calling's not in the dugout. Your calling's on the field. Come on. Come on, I want to win. Need you. Jesus, be Jesus among us. I just come against the spirit of apathy right now in Jesus' name. Come against it right now in Jesus' name. And I bind it and I cast it off. I come against it. I come against it right now. In Jesus' name. As that spirit of apathy falls off, God, I pray that you will energize. Right now, God, just as on the day of Pentecost, When the world saw them, they saw passion. 
And the passion was so powerful, they supposed him to be drunk. God, I just pray right now that, Lord, when the lost, when Middlesbrough sees Jubilee, God, they'll see passion. And they'll, they'll suppose, uh, they, there's, there'll be no denying that something is going on. Let us not be satisfied with opening the doors and hoping people will come. Let us not be satisfied, Lord, with just a simple invite, but put passion in us, God, where we sit down with those we love and care for and we look them in the eye and say, this is not a matter of going to church. This is a matter of life and death. And we are asking you to not sit here and die, but get up and walk with us as we walk with Jesus and live. Right now in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, you love this church. You love this church, Lord Jesus. You died for Jubilee. They are your passion in this place. And I pray that the whole of the UK would never be the same again because of the infection of passion in this place, God. Do it. Do it. Do it for your glory. I just see the lost, I see the lost getting saved, not in church services, but I just see it right now, the lost getting saved in restaurants. I see the lost getting saved across the coffee table. I see it right now in the name of Jesus. The lost getting saved on the street corner. I see the lost getting saved right now next door in their own home as you minister to them. I just see it. I see them coming to church as a byproduct of what the passion of Jesus Christ has already done through his believers right now. Do it, God. Now, Lord, I'm going to pray for strong leaders. There is nothing more valuable in a church than its leadership team. Bless this eldership team in Jesus' name. Right now we bless them. We bless them, Lord. There's nothing. Jubilee has no greater possession than its eldership team. None. Bless them. Give them wisdom and anointing, God. And Father, let them never lack passion. Help them to climb the fence and spur us on on God. Let them shake the fence in our face, Lord, and call us out. Help them to call us up to do things we didn't think we could do, God. I pray for young leaders right now that will be raised up to follow the leaders in front of them and do the work of God. And I also pray against personal agendas. We only have the agenda of Jesus Christ to seek and save that which is lost. Do it, God, for your glory. Do it for your honor. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. God bless you.